Before we do that, I want to just pause and be reminded as a church, what, what is an elder? What is it that we're talking about this morning? The Bible speaks very clearly about how the church shall be led. Uh, I am aware there's a lot of debate over it. I don't think the debate is here. Uh, I think scripture is, is clear. The answer is qualified elders. That's how the apostle Paul organized the church. Acts 14 tells of Paul's travels all throughout Asia Minor. And verse 23, uh, it says, When they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Paul commands Titus, Titus 1.5, This is why I left you in Crete, that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. There are numerous verses on that outlining how the church was formed in this way. Uh, if you want to hear more about that, you've got, you got to come to our Redemption Essentials class, and, and we'll spend some time on that. But the Bible describes and prescribes elders as the leadership of the church, uh, and that is the highest human office in the church. Christ is the chief shepherd. He's the head of the church. He is the one that we ultimately submit to. The apostles that he appointed spoke and wrote authoritatively in their day, but they're gone now. Today, elder is the highest human authority in the church. We have no pope. We have no bishops. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. We have multiple elders in each congregation. And that includes this idea of pastor. The word pastor simply means shepherd. It's a term used alongside the word elder and the word overseer to speak of this one role of elder. These men that we're affirming today are not going to be coming in under my leadership. They're appointed as shepherds alongside me. We often misunderstand eldership as if it's like a business role. It's an operations kind of thing. It's not. It's a shepherding role. Direction of the church, the business of the church, it falls under that category of shepherding, um, but primarily it's a role of shepherding the flock. Um, we'll talk more about that uh, later this morning. Um, so these men are going to be appointed as shepherds alongside me to help me in this work. And so I may be tasked with the regular preaching and some of the day-to-day leadership, um, but together we will be your pastors It's not a small role. It's not something we take lightly. Um, These men that we're appointing today do not take it lightly. Uh, I think it's important that you know that each of these men has trembled before this role uh, as they ought to. Uh, It's biblical. It's significant. um, And it's a position of honor. Uh, 1 Timothy 3.1, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And then later in 5.17, he says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. So we're called to respect these men, to give deference to them, to listen to them, to honor them as is appropriate, um, to follow them as they follow Christ. So with that said, I want to invite um, Arnold Penner and and Corey Dyer and Grant Monk at all. Would you guys join me up here? And uh, Adam McAllister, why don't you come as well? Grab that mic, Grant. Pass that to Adam. 
Adam is uh, here as a representative from Calgary. He's one of our uh, elders there and our, our mother church. Let me remind us, um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul lays out, these are the qualifications of an elder. This is what an elder in the church must be. He says, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church of God? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that they may not fall into disgrace and into the snare of the devil. One of the things about elders in a church is they're not so much chosen as they are recognized. And, and I know none of you men are perfect uh, and would not claim to be. Um, but over the last three years, uh, as we have served together, uh, each of you have displayed consistently godly character in line with what we've just read. Um, no one from the congregation over the past weeks has brought a single concern to my attention. Um, and, and I've observed you giving godly counsel to uh, the believers here, and, and wise leadership to the church. And I've been personally blessed by each of you as friends. You have challenged me. You have encouraged me. I think each of you have corrected me at different times. And uh, so I'm, th- I'm thrilled um, to have each of you joining as elders uh, in this work together. And uh, I, I count it as a particular uh, kind providence of God to me uh, and, to our, and to our congregation um, so I've asked Adam if, if you would pray uh, for us, for these men, as we affirm them to this role. I invite you to turn your Bibles to First uh, Peter chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible on you, um, go ahead and slip up your hand. One of our ushers uh, will get a Bible for you. Um, we want you to have God's Word in your hand. That's, that's what we're about here. Um, frankly, that's really all we have to offer. Um, we're going to continue on in many ways, with the installation of elders. And uh, we're going to look at 1 Peter 5. And uh, this week will be a charge um, to these men, to, to Grant and Corey and Arnold. Uh, next week, we're going to talk a little more. What does, it, what does it mean to live under biblical eldership? What does this mean for us as a, as a congregation? But this week um, is, is for you three men, and we'll let the congregation eavesdrop as, uh, as we go through this passage. Peter is writing this letter to uh, the churches spread across uh, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, um, many of the places that Paul was talking about uh, where he had appointed elders and entrusted them uh, to the Holy Spirit. And, and this is his word of encouragement Uh, to those churches, and then specifically uh, to those elders. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1, this is what he has to say. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a 
partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There's a lot packed into there. Um, man, we've, we've spent a lot of time over the last years. we trained together talking about this passage and, and what it means to shepherd the flock of God. But I want to draw four challenges for you, for us, out of this passage. And the first thing that, that Peter charges us is lead the sheep. Lead the sheep. He says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. I mentioned earlier, pastor, elder, overseer, different words used for the same office, the same position in the church. This is one of the places that, that confirms that. The elders are to shepherd or pastor by overseeing. Gentlemen, your job is to lead the church, to shepherd the flock of God by giving oversight. It's his flock, but he's entrusted it to our care. Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 30, Paul says to the, the elders in Ephesus, pay careful attention. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Your job as elder, as leader in the church is to protect the flock, to lead the flock. Think of four areas in particular, areas of doctrine, direction, discipleship, and discipline. Don't shy away from those things. Don't be fooled into silence by a false sense of humility. The church is often under threat. Notice he says that fierce wolves will come. Even from among you, not sparing the flock. We need to be on guard, man. We need to be prepared. We need to be alert, paying careful attention. We need to speak boldly, though humbly. We need to feed the sheep. We need to make sure they're being taught on sound doctrine, that they know the truth, that they see it in God's word, that they're learning how to feed themselves. So Corey, Grant, Arnold, Christ has entrusted you with the oversight of his church. Lead the sheep. Lead the sheep. Secondly, the end of verse 2, Peter says, love the shepherding. He writes, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. He uses these two contrasts here. To do something under compulsion is to be forced into it, to be pressured into it, and not necessarily by external forces. Um, it's not as though someone's putting a gun to your head to be an elder. Thankfully, you, you didn't push me to that length. Um, 
but you could be compelled by guilt. Somebody really needs to do this. The church needs elders. John asked me to do this. I don't want to let him down. Maybe you feel obligated. It's the, it's the right thing to do. It's the role that, a, that an upstanding man would take. It's, it's, it's my Christian duty. Peter said, that's not the right motivation. That's not what ought to drive you in this. Your service as elder ought to be done willingly. Willingly. The overflow of your own will, your own desire from, from the heart. Paul uses this word compulsion over in 2 Corinthians 9, 7 as he talks about giving. Look at the contrast here. Each one must give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The, the opposite of compulsion here is cheerfulness, joy from the heart. You know, to love shepherding, it ought to be a, a labor of love, a cheerful shepherd, a willing shepherd. And Peter continues, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, there are some who have made it rich uh, as shepherds. But as an unpaid lay elder in a small town church, I, I doubt that's your motivation this morning. If it is, um, you're soon to be disappointed. Um, but there will be temptations for other kinds of shameful gain. You'll be tempted to use shepherding for the shameful gain of your own pride. Look at me. I'm an elder in the church. Aren't you impressed by my title, my position? You'll be tempted to use shepherding for shameful gain of power. You should listen to me. You should do as I say. You should be under my influence. The service should go according to my preferences. I'm an elder. You'll be tempted to use shepherding for shameful gain even toward God. You'll be tempted to take your eyes off of your primary identity as one of the sheep, one of those bought by the blood of Christ, one of those who is beloved in Him because of what Christ has accomplished, and begin to think, look at me, God, look at what I've done for you. Isn't this impressive? Hasn't this earned me more favor in your sight, God? Hasn't this increased my, my value in your eyes, Lord? Peter says, put all of that to death. Nail it to the cross where it belongs. Gentlemen, shepherd eagerly from a passionate heart. Love the shepherding. So lead the sheep, love the shepherding, and then live the example. This is so important. Verse 3, he says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. Now, let's not misunderstand this passage. This verse is not saying that elders do not have authority. Follow my double negative. It's not saying that elders do not have authority. It's quite the opposite. It assumes there are people under your charge. It assumes authority. And it calls you not to abuse it. We see that authority over in 1 Timothy 5.17. Elders are called to rule well. The question is, how do you use your authority? And, and Peter warns, don't be domineering. Churches so quickly go sour under domineering leadership. 
men who want to rule with an iron fist, who want to dictate with power, who, who struggle for absolute control, who lay heavy burdens and extra-biblical burdens on their sheep. And there are sheep who will be drawn to that. And those churches will continue to have these struggling, works-based, twisted salvation as their domineering shepherds ask for more and for more. Peter says, oh, don't let that be you. Don't, don't domineer over those in your charge. But in your leadership, be an example to the flock. It's interesting. Our world puts such a high priority on competency and, and charisma, don't we? What you're able to, to do. How, how successful are you? How persuasive are you? Are you able to, to wow people with your, your personality, with your presence? And so often church has been influenced by that. We see the, the successful businessman and the, the entrepreneur and, and the winsome speaker, and we think, that guy's got it. He should be a leader in the church. That would really help the church if that impressive, winsome, charismatic person was a leader in the church. And they are successful in the world. But that's not what God values. That's not what he calls for. It's not what qualifies someone to be an elder in the church. When Scripture talks about elders, it says nothing about charisma. It says very little about competency. An elder is to be able to teach. Out of that whole list of qualifications that we read, that's the one competency. It says a lot about character. If you want to be a successful elder, successful in God's sight, Strive for character. Strive to be an example to the flock in the way that you live. That's Paul's challenge to Timothy. Uh, 1 Timothy 4.12, he says, Let no one despise you. Let no one look down on you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So gentlemen, don't let others look down on you. For Timothy, uh, he was prone to be looked down on because he was young. That was, what, that was what was against him. Culturally, that was what disqualified him uh, in their eyes. I would encourage you to insert your own fears, your own insecurities into this text. Don't let others look down on you because you're not as articulate as some. Because you aren't as successful in this or that. Because you don't fit the world's standards of impressive or influential. Don't worry about the world's definitions. Worry about what God calls significant. Set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Those are the things that have qualified you for eldership. And that is how God intends to use you in his church. As a side note for the young men among us. This is what you ought to strive for. If you aspire one day to be an elder, and Paul says that would be a noble thing to hope for, read through this list from 1 Timothy 3. Does this define my life? Don't, don't, try to, don't try to take positions of leadership. Don't try to show off your abilities. Grow in character. Grow in character. No doubt Peter is remembering back to when he was taught this same lesson by Jesus himself. 
Matthew 20, Jesus called them to him and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Think about that sentence. Their great ones exercise authority over them. That's the worldly definition of great leadership. It's an impressive person who is who is winsome and charismatic, who exercises authority. He's an effective leader. And don't be fooled, sometimes it is very effective. Successful companies and and more than a few megachurches have been built by by these great ones exercising authority. But Jesus says, it's not the way it should go in my kingdom In my church, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And are you willing to give your life to serving the church? Jesus himself, our Lord, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Are you willing to give your life to serve the church? And and not just the church, but but the sheep. And not just the sheep general, but these sheep, the ones gathered here. Are you willing? Will you serve them? Be, Be an example for them in holy living as you humbly lead them. Be an example for them as you give your life in serving them, seeing them grow and thrive in their faith. Lead the sheep, love the shepherding, live the example. And then finally, verse 4, Peter says, Look to Christ. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown. Of glory. What a, what a great promise. Being an elder in a church is not easy work. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not too bad to deal with budgets and make decisions on buildings and carpets. But shepherding a flock is hard work. It's a burden, as Adam said. You men already know the burden of trying to encourage people to to walk in obedience and to to press them on into the the blessing of God and to stand by helpless as they throw themselves headlong into disobedience and and suffering. You know the the frustration of of calling people to to give themselves to Christ, commit yourself to the church, be a part of the, the work that the Lord is doing, be a part of what's significant in this world and watch them continue on in in half-hearted, lukewarm apathy. You know the sting of pouring yourself out in love and prayer for someone just to see them quietly walk away without even saying goodbye, without even telling you why they've left. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. You know the fears and the doubts and the sleepless nights of, of am I suited for this? And, and should I have said something different? Could I have done something more? 
Don't get me wrong. Shepherding is filled with some of the greatest joys and blessings that this world has to offer. Its high points are higher than any other position in this world, without a doubt. But they're surrounded by tears. They are surrounded by tears. But there's good news. Peter says it's worth it. It's worth it. When the chief shepherd returns, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. There's an eternal reward at the end of this short season of sacrifice and service. A crown, not, not like the ones they handed out in the, the Grecian games, a, a wreath of leaves that would fade and be gone. Not like the trophies around us that we see that, that raw, moth and rust will destroy, but an unfading crown of glory. Consider that. Believe that. Hang on to that. Look forward to that. There's a, a tradition in Western philosophy, and I don't want to go too far down this rabbit trail, but uh, Immanuel Kant kind of started this line of thinking that, that a good deed is no longer objectively good if it's done with an eye to the reward. Right? That if we're looking to the reward, then a moral act somehow becomes less moral. You can dive into endless spinning circles of philosophical debate there. And yet, I think we see that Christ in Scripture consistently put before us. There's a reward. There's a reward. It's coming. Strive for that reward. We ought to be obedient to that. Jesus himself, we're told, endured the cross with his eyes set on the joy set before him. It's okay. In fact, it's encouraged to be looking for that eternal reward, looking for the proper reward. Believe this promise right here. There is a reward for those who serve well. Hang on to that. James 3 warns us that those who teach will be judged more strictly. 1 Peter 5, 4 promises that those who serve well as elders will be uniquely rewarded. But I want to catch something else out of this passage. I think we immediately see this hope for the future, this reward that we ought to hang on to, and that's, that's good. There's a, a future hope there, but I think it also offers us a great present hope as well. There's a reward to come, but there's, there's good news here for us today. Corey Grant Arnold, you are called to shepherd, but you are not the shepherd. Praise God for that. We are just under shepherds. Breathe out. We are just under shepherds. Jesus is the chief shepherd. You're not called to be Jesus. Just faithful. Faithful with the gifts and abilities and responsibilities that he's given us. Um, but he continues to be the chief shepherd. These sheep around you that you're called to lead and protect and direct, they aren't ultimately yours. They belong to the chief shepherd. We're just temporary caregivers, and they aren't ultimately our responsibility. And when you're faithfully holding forth biblical truth, 
and you're rejected. It's ultimately not you they've rejected, but Christ. And on the flip side, when you're holding forth biblical truth and it's accepted, it's also not you that's accepted, it's Christ. So when you feel overwhelmed and helpless, weak and burdened to lead and direct and protect, when people come and go from our sphere of influence and we want to see their lives going toward faithful obedience and, and, and we are helpless to do so, we need to be reminded they're not our sheep. They are his sheep. We're only called to be faithful with what we can do in our small sphere. He is the chief shepherd, so look to him. And know that, that we best fulfill this role as under-shepherds by keeping our eyes on the chief shepherd. By keeping our eyes on him. He, he is not only the shepherd of those that we're called to lead, he's our shepherd. He is the one who cares for us. He is the one who promises to lead us by green pastures and still waters to restore our soul, to be with us through the valley of the shadow of death. You can't serve as an under-shepherd if you're not walking closely with the chief shepherd. You can't effectively call people to the fountain of living water if you're not there drinking deeply on your own. Keep your eyes on the chief shepherd. Walk with him. Hold close to him. Feed yourself in his word. Be filled with awe and wonder at his glory. Spend sweet time on your knees with him in prayer. A.W. Tozer wrote these words. It has always been a frightful incongruity that men who do not pray and do not worship are nevertheless actually running many of the churches. Men, let that not be us. On the other hand, John Owen, a quote that hangs on my office wall, said, a minister may fill his pews, his communion role, and the mouths of the public, but what that minister is on his knees before the Almighty God, that he is and no more. That he is and no more. True shepherding begins first with walking closely with the chief shepherd. Resting in him, trusting in him, being fed at his table. John 15, Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Brothers, my hope is that our tenure as elders together will be long and will be fruitful. And that comes through abiding in Christ, resting in him, trusting in him. Let that be our focus. Let's be filled with awe and worship for him, resting in him. On our faces before the Almighty God, enamored with his glory, that's the position from which we lead. So Arnold, Corey, Grant, lead the sheep, love the shepherding, live the example and look to Christ. Shepherd the flock of God, 
that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I want to close our time together. Can we, Father, we are so grateful for the work that you have done. Lord, for your, your providence in bringing so many things together, how you've worked uh, in the lives of all of us to bring us to this place, particularly uh, the lives of, of Arnold and, and Grant and Corey. God, we ask that you would be near to them now. We ask that you would guard them. Lord, keep their character above reproach. Father, I pray that you would protect their marriages, that they would love their wives and their families well, be exemplary in that. But Father, above all, that they would abide in Christ. They would walk closely with that chief shepherd, that they would know him. Lord, you know our helplessness. You know our weakness. You're not surprised by it. So God, we, we just humbly but confidently assume that you intend to supply all that we need. And we trust you for it. We pray, God, use us as faithful leaders of this church. Give us wisdom and discernment. Give us boldness and gentleness. Lord, that, that the saints here, ourselves included, might be built up to maturity, to the, the fullness of manhood and the image of Christ. That your name might be praised. Father, in all of it, we trust in you. We have nothing of our own strength to bring about any of this. So God, be at work. You work in us and through us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.